Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 14. This morning, I preached on the call of consecration. What does it mean to live a consecrated life? And as I said, you need to go back and check that out, but... We are called to be consecrated, to be set apart, to be holy, to be distinct as God is all of those things. And one of the greatest expressions of our consecration is our prayer lives. There are lots of things that give expression to consecration. But one of the greatest things, one of the most sacred things that we can participate in and be set apart for is a lifestyle of intimacy and prayer. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He teaches us some of the best advice you're ever going to get on prayer. It says in Matthew 6, verse 5, and when you pray, everybody say, when you pray. pray. Notice it doesn't say, if you pray. When you pray, it's an expectation if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, everybody say, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, prayer is the private discipline that gets a public reward. And when you pray, everybody say, when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Today in this third part of this launch of consecration, I want to speak to you on the subject, the best advice on prayer you'll ever receive. The best advice on prayer you'll ever receive. I wonder if you've ever been the recipient of bad advice. It's amazing the advice that people will follow that will get them into all sorts of trouble. And people follow bad financial advice and make dodgy investments. People follow weird, bizarre advice about physical health and exercise and all sorts of things. People follow bizarre advice about relationships and marriages. Our culture, particularly the internet, is filled with all sorts of bizarre examples of bad advice. I just did a random search this afternoon on the internet, Dr. Google for some bad advice, and I was not disappointed. There was lots of it. 
Here's a few examples. If you do something bad, make sure there's someone else around to blame. That's bad advice. If you're being chased by an animal, just lay on the ground for five seconds. The five second rule will prevent the animal from eating you. That's really bad advice. Life is short. Make sure you spend as much time as possible on the internet arguing with strangers about politics. Here's not another one. Here's another one. My dad told me the broken escalator was voice activated. So I spent 10 minutes yelling, go up, before he told me it was broken. Here's another one, a very good one I wanted. Uh, No, not that one. Yes, this one. I once convinced a drunk friend that in order to revive his dead fish, he would have to hold his jumper cable under the water. That's not good. And one more. If you ever get caught sleeping on the job, slowly raise your head and say, in Jesus' name, amen. Stupid, right? The world is full of bad advice. But let's come closer to home for a moment and think about some of the messages and bad advice that our culture gives us. What about this one? Just follow your heart. It sounds so, you know, like, right. It's the worst advice you could ever follow because the truth of Jeremiah 17:9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And the answer comes back, only the Lord who searches the heart and tests the mind. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Follow the Spirit of God. If you follow your heart, you're gonna get led down a road someday. It's gonna hurt you. It's gonna destroy your life. What about this cultural advice? Well, after all, love is love. It's a little bit closer to home. 1 John 4, 7 says God is love. It's not love is love, God is love. And so if God is love, He is the only one that defines the perfection and purity of how love should be expressed. God is the absolute virgin and epitome and expression of perfect love. What about this one? Lots of young men have heard this as they've been growing up. Real men don't cry. That's stupid. Totally dumb because in John eleven thirty five it says Jesus wept. How many of us know it's not a sign of weakness to express your emotion? It's actually what it's called to be emotionally intelligent. And if you just repress your emotion and you don't work through, uh, you know, stuff that's going on in your heart, you're going to get unhealthy. You're gonna get toxic. There's gonna be spiritual poison. That's how unforgiveness and bitterness creeps into people's hearts because people don't process their emotions or their pain or stuff that they're going through in an appropriate way. You know, when it comes to prayer, there's good advice and there's bad advice. I once heard a Christian businessman say, I don't need to pray to do what I do. And I thought, well, that's the problem. Clearly, you're not doing anything that requires prayer for it to be eternally significant. 
And yet Jesus said in John 5:19, the Son of God said, I only ever do that which I see my Father doing. I am completely and utterly dependent upon my Father. And so my counter to that businessman's sort of life response and, and life philosophy is, hey, if it's good enough for the Son of God, it's good enough for you and I. If we are truly following Jesus and we're truly living a life in alignment with the truth of His Word, we need to be people of prayer. The best advice I got at Bible college was from our own very own Dr. Mike Gretschko and he said to me in his office one day, if you want to grow up to be a man of God, get up every morning, spend an hour in the Word every day, then spend another hour praying what you just read. Do that for the rest of your life and you'll discover what it means to be a man of God. And I didn't get caught up on the principle of necessarily the time because this is what you discover when you fall in love with someone, let alone with Jesus, that time just, you know, goes like that. And you can spend an hour, it's like 10 minutes. You can spend two hours and it's like 20 minutes. And, and, and so for, from that day back in 1999 that he said that to me up until now, I've practised two, three, four hours most days of my life seeking the presence of God, studying the Word, learning and growing. Why? Because I wanted to understand. I want to know this God that I'm in relationship with. I want to know Him and, and, and He knows me, but I need to know Him in a better way. You know, there are hundreds of books on prayer that peddle techniques for getting what you want from God. But there comes a point where you've got to put the prayer book down and you've got to follow A.W. Tozer's advice. This is some of the best advice I can give you on prayer. He said, the secret to prayer is to pray. Wow. But so many of us, we read a gazillion books on prayer and I'd encourage you at least one or two, particularly the ones I write. Uh, read, read every book on prayer you can get. Get, you know, attend our prayer ministry training. Get all the training because prayer is a skill that you can learn, right? But you need to understand that God has hardwired you for communication with Him. To be human is to pray because God has designed eternity inside of you. And so I wanna encourage you, one of the best ways to learn how to pray is to switch it off and just pray. One of the best ways to learn how to pray is to shut the door to every distraction in your house and in your life and go into the secret place and just begin to open up your mouth and begin to talk to God. Stop complaining about every problem or disadvantage or thing that went against you in your life and just start to pray. Instead of going to the phone, go to the throne and just bring what God, what, what even you're complaining about and murmuring about before the Lord. We all know that we should pray and we all know that to be human is to pray and yet why is it that we struggle to pray? Well, there are several reasons. One of the reasons why we struggle to pray is because of ignorance. Ignorance produces fear in our life. When you're ignorant of how something works, when you're ignorant of how a relationship works, you tend to abuse it. When you're ignorant 
of how a computer works, you definitely tend to abuse it. When we're ignorant of how prayer works or how relationship with God works or faith works, we tend to abuse it. There's a reason why people are afraid of the dark. It's not because there are scary little monsters in the dark. It's because we're ignorant of what's there. But how do you know the moment you switch on the light, your ignorance now turns to knowledge. You know, oh, what I was imagining or what I was hallucinating isn't actually there. And so when the disciples were ignorant of the power of prayer, they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They could have asked for all manner of things for Jesus to teach them, but they saw power in Jesus' life. They saw a difference when Jesus would come out of the place of prayer and they said, God, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Prayer is something that you can learn to incorporate into every aspect of your life. So if you're struggling to pray because of ignorance, you can actually be equipped both by listening to the messages today and being discipled in the life of this church, how to become an effective prayer warrior in your life. Another reason why we struggle to pray is because of self-dependence. Our culture is dominated by pride, reason and self-effort. If you imagine it, you can do it. You just got to try harder. Whatever you want to be, you can be. There's this pride and reason and logic and self-dependence that actually runs counter to the life of prayer. Prayer is a direct confrontation to your self-dependence because you will only pray if you acknowledge that you don't have all the answers and that God has all the answers. And so wherever you see someone growing in humility, you'll see someone who is active in being open and being more prayerful in their relationship with God. Again, if Jesus as the Son of God had to pray to keep that connection with His Father, how much more you and I? Another reason why we struggle to pray is because of offence. We become offended at God or at the church. And so we prayed once, we didn't get the answer, so we get offended. Well, all of us have had prayers that didn't go anywhere. I was talking to someone at the end of the service this morning or a couple of believers about them praying for someone and believing for breakthrough and it didn't happen. And they were in absolute humility asking for wisdom and guidance on how to navigate that lack of answer to prayer. It's so important you guard your heart from offence. There are some things that happen in life that is a mystery. You're not, if, if, you, if you and I think that we've got to understand everything before we embrace it, that also is the height of arrogance. To think that, oh, before I believe it, I have to see it. And before I embrace it, I have to understand it. It's, it's sort of Western rationalistic pride that thinks we have to know it all before we embrace something. Well, all the best with that because there's a whole lot of life that's lived where there is mystery. You will send yourself to an early grave if you have to understand everything. 
There is a mystery to the sovereignty of God. There is a mystery to the kingdom of God. Faith is is putting trust in God in the unseen realms of life. And, And God never asked you to become a professional explainer of why something didn't happen just because you prayed once and it didn't happen. He asked you to have faith as small as a mustard seed and to just continue to believe that you were gonna see breakthrough. And it's amazing if you'll just adopt the posture of childlike faith rather than looking for reasons to doubt and not have faith, the miracles and the signs and wonders that will come into your life. I mean, if John the Baptist would struggle with a few doubts, you and I are gonna struggle with a few doubts too. He's JB Hi-Fi, he's in prison. And he's there, the original pioneer of JB Hi-Fi. And he's there and, and, and now, you know, this isn't how it was supposed to turn out. I mean, I thought I was gonna rule and reign with King Jesus in the coming of His Kingdom. But now I'm here in prison, my head's on the chopping block and I've got some questions about this Messiah. So I'm gonna send some of my posse around to Jesus' you know, house and we're gonna have a conversation. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus points to His miracles, His signs and His wonders. Well, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised up and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We've got to guard our hearts against offence towards God because if it's not dealt with, it'll become bitterness, it'll become unforgiveness and lots of people have walked away from the church, let alone their relationship with God because they've allowed offence to become bitterness in their hearts and their intimate connection with Jesus has been cut off. Another reason why we struggle to pray is because of laziness. Right? And laziness, to be honest with you, is a poor excuse. Whilst we all understand it, uh, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. To be honest, if we're just lazy, we actually just have to grow up and take responsibility. And that's a good word for somebody in the room today. It's not a condemning word, but it's a loving, uh, a fatherly word to say, come on, stop being so small in your spirit and let's grow up and take responsibility. And don't wait till a, a bad doctor's diagnosis or a terrible crisis in your life to actually start to pray. The best time to start praying is today. All right, begin today. Okay, you missed yesterday. You missed the last 10 years of your life. Begin today. Why? Because life is going at such a pace and such a rate. There's never gonna be a convenient, perfect time for you. All right, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 9.24? But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. All right, didn't say, you know, uh, but I buffet my body and I just indulge it. It says I buffer, literally in the Greek, discipline. I discipline it. I don't wanna become disqualified because I didn't discipline my flesh. The Spirit is more powerful than the flesh. Whilst the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, you gotta understand something, that yes, there'll be this dynamic of wrestling at times with the flesh, but you need to know, greater is he who's in you than he that's in your flesh, all right? You died to sin when you were made alive in Christ. Literally, you are and I to consider ourselves dead to sin. 
If, if you consider yourself dead to sin, it's gonna be really hard for sin to be made alive in your life, right? You've gotta come into agreement with the truth of, your, of the Word and begin to live by that rather than necessarily by what you feel, okay? Another uh, common reason for struggling to pray is busyness. One of the most common responses to the question, how are you going, is what? Busy. I am yet to hear someone say, I'm totally peace at peace and prospering in life. I mean, if someone answered that question with that response, you'd nearly have a heart attack because you'd be like, what? Because the most common response is, oh, I'm so busy, you know, with work and with life. And before we start to convince ourselves that our generation is the busiest, you know, information-saturated generation on the planet, busyness is not a recent phenomena. In the 16th century, the great reformer, John Calvin, had no access to technology. He either could use the means of transport of walking or horseback, and yet he overworked himself to the point of dying of exhaustion with busyness at age 54 in the 16th century. So please don't convince yourself, I am just so busy. Even those of us in full-time ministry working for the Lord. No, busyness is like sin. You gotta kill it or it will kill you. All right? We're all gonna be busy to some degree. The issue is what are you busy doing? What's your priority? What's your focus? Where are you investing yourself into? Is this helping anyone today? Now, these are several reasons and there are many others. How do we combat these things and what is the best advice on prayer you'll ever receive? Firstly, number one, keep it real. Keep it real. In verse five of this passage, Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The Pharisees, the religious leaders and authorities would advertise their spirituality through their prayer and their fasting. And in the process, they undermine their spiritual reward. In the Greek, the word hypocrite literally means to be an actor. These Pharisees were like spiritual religious actors. Their prayer was a religious performance to earn them kudos before people. You see, why you do what you do is just as important as what you actually do. Motivation matters to God. Your motivation and why you can do good things for the wrong reasons. You know, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus talks about how two men went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee went up justifying himself in his tithing and his prayers and his arms and everything that he gave to God. And yet God didn't listen to his prayer. But the tax collector, knowing the depravity of his own soul, knowing the brokenness of his own heart, goes up and says, God, I am in need of your mercy. 
I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And the Bible says the outcast, the tax collector, returned home justified and the Pharisee was not rewarded or acknowledged for his religious performance. What does the Bible say in Matthew 5 eight? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God always honours a pure motive, even when it's a poor method. This is true. I've met a lot of people in ministry, big names of leaders and stuff, and I see them behind the scenes, and it's very ordinary, even the methodology of what they do, very ordinary, but somehow God blesses and rewards them. Why? Because their heart motives are pure. You can go far in the kingdom of God with the right motives and a poor method. Your prayer life may not be the most articulate. You may not be the most verbose or communicator or articulate in your presentation. But I'm telling you, if you've got a right heart, right spirit, right motive, you will see things in God others simply will not see. And so we've got to guard our hearts from pretending that everything is okay when maybe it's not. The goal of prayer is not to appear spiritual. So like, you know, you're praying and God's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing revelation. <laughs> Grab the moleskin, start writing notes, angel. This is unbelievable. I'm going to get this guy's podcast. It's just off the charts. God never is like shocked at the revelation or the incredible wisdom that's coming out of your mouth. He delights to hear what's in your heart, but He's the source of revelation. He's the source of wisdom. He's got so much wisdom and revelation in His little pinky, it'll blow your head off. He's not impressed by your spirituality. The goal isn't even to move God's heart. The goal is to move our hearts closer to His heart. Don't use your prayer life to try to get God to join you in what you're doing. God, I'm just praying, Lord, even if it's like, oh, Lord, I want to see, you know, like this big crusade and, and, and this harvest of souls. I want to see the MCG filled. But you might want to see the MCG filled for you. And it all sounds good. I remember I wanted to be a professional athlete as an adolescent and I'd be like, God, just bless me with this and that. And, and it was about me. It wasn't about Him. So don't try and get God, use your prayer life to get God to join you. Just join God in what He's doing. So you search the Scriptures and you see, where does God encourage us to pray? Where's God working? Where do I join Him? The harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, Luke chapter 10, to send out labourers. That's a prayer God's going to honour. And there are others, but often I've found if you'll join God in your prayer life, where He's going, where He's moving, what He's doing, it's amazing, He'll fill the gaps. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these other things will be. Didn't say seek all these other things. It said seek first the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. Join your prayers to where God's going and God will take care of all these other things. How do you keep your prayer life real? Get honest with God. 
Pick a fight with him. True. Tell him exactly like it is. I wrestle with God all the time. He always wins, but I wrestle with him. Think about this, Psalm 55, 17. Evening and morning, David said, and at noon I utter my complaint. And he moans uh, and, and moan and he hears my voice. Henry us know morning, noon, and night. That's a lot of complaining. It's a lot of moaning. I mean, if you did that with your, you know, kids or with your spouse, they'd be like, will you shut up? You're just constantly moaning. In fact, there's proverbs about that. About the dripping of the tap and a whinging wife. There's proverbs about that. The same goes, some of you blokes just whinge and complain and just, oh, everything's so negative. (laughs) You know, the Bible is more honest than Christians. If Jesus, well, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus is here right now, but if Jesus was still alive and He preached in the pulpit of every local church on the planet, He would offend everyone. People would throw stones at Him, want to throw Him off a cliff, crucify Him again because He's more honest than what we are. David would complain and, 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 and utter lament before God. God actually never was put off by it. He said, he's a man after my own heart. He's real with me. He's honest with me. Jacob would wrestle with the angel of the Lord all night. Who are you? What is your name? My name is Jacob. He owned up to who he was. I'm a cheater. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. It isn't until you get in a wrestle with God that you come clean on who you really are. And it isn't until you come face to face with who God is that you come face to face with who you are. People say, you know, you've got to go on a journey. I'm just on a journey of finding myself. All the best with that. All the best. Don't bother about trying to find yourself. You're going to walk into a wall. Just stop it. No. You follow Him, you follow Him, you wrestle with Him, you go to Him and then He holds up His Word like a mirror and shows you who you are and you come clean on it. And He says, no longer shall you be known as a deceiver or a supplanter or a hill grabber, but you are Israel, the Prince of God. You are gonna be a man that I'm gonna take and I'm gonna raise up generations after you. Moses is like, why the heck did you give me all of those whinging Israelites? What are you trying to do? Literally kill me? That was in the original here. What are you trying to do? Oh, I'm not their father. You are. You work it out. I may have prayed that once or twice. You work it out. God's like, I like you. Jeremiah writes an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's a complaint after complaint after complaint. The first chapter of Habakkuk is Habakkuk complaining to God. And because he's a prophet, God's gonna answer him through his own prophecy. You know you're awesome when you can complain and then prophesy the answer back to yourself. That's what Habakkuk is. The Bible is filled with people who are raw and real. You gotta keep prayer real because when life hurts, you're gonna be tempted to pretend you're fine with God when you're not. I mean, we all know you're not. He certainly knows you're not. So just get real. Someone's getting set free today right now. 
Thomas Merton, the great uh, prayer warrior says, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality. What's the best advice on prayer I can give you? Keep it real. Secondly, keep it simple. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8, and when you pray, don't be a Webster's Dictionary. It's in the original. Don't heap up empty phrases. Don't use King James Christianese. Don't just repeat your latest favourite worship song. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they're going to be heard for their many complicated words. Don't be like them, Jesus says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. How weird would it be if my kids came to me and said, Oh, Father, would Thou extend unto me Thy gracious right hand and supply me the rich, abundant, sugar-filled Slurpee from the local 7-Eleven. I'd be like, slap out of it, kid. Maybe not, maybe not. Safer churches, maybe not. No, with my words, I'd say, snap out of it, kid, right? And I'd say, what's wrong with you? Just ask for a Slurpee. No, by the way. And... But how weird would it be if, if your kids or, or your sibling came to you and used all weird, complicated language? Why do you do that with God? You spend like 45 minutes of an hour prayer time just trying to, you know, flatter Him and appease Him before you ask for the real thing. Stop that and just after five minutes, go straight to what it is that's on your heart. Try, here's a challenge, try and use as few words as possible to tell God what you need. We have got to keep prayer simple so that the most natural thing in the world doesn't get overcomplicated. I love the title of this prayer book by Anne Lamott. It's titled, Help, Thanks, Wow. (laughs) The only three words you're gonna need. Help God, I really need help today. I need help for this situation. I need help for that situation. Help, thanks, thanksgiving. We enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for being so faithful in my life. Thank you that you are amazing. Wow. Hickey wrote the book, wow. Seriously, I love this man. Everything is wow. Because it is. Because when the truth comes, it's like, wow. When you get an encounter with God, wow. We need more wow. Wow. New book coming to you from Hickey. Pastor David, wow. The life of prayer of Pastor David Hickman. Wow. Seriously, help, thanks, wow. Do you know there are a few rules when it comes to prayer? You can pray anywhere, everywhere, and all the time. Why? Because God's presence is available to you anywhere, everywhere, and all the time. Wow, that's right. You don't need to, you know, just simply 
um, find a dedicated space where five times a day, for example, you face a certain direction and got to pray. I respect the commitment, but you can be swimming in the pool, in the cafe, driving in your car, walking down the road, sitting still in a chair. You can be doing anything and be in the mode of prayer. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? The answer is, God, you're everywhere. The Lord's Prayer is 31 words in the original language with very short words that takes about 30 seconds to pray. It's simple enough to be memorised by children and yet it's profound enough to sustain a lifetime of prayer. I literally have in the back of my Bible, I have uh, the Lord's Prayer written out one line after the other with a prayer sentence underneath. Literally, that if I go through that properly, that can take me hours. Because every line is literally wow. It's like our Father who art in heaven. Wow. Okay. Hallowed be your name. What, what, what does that mean? It means I've got to approach God right as my heavenly Father. That, that our heavenly Father is the pinnacle of all creation, the pinnacle of life itself. It gets me beyond just thinking about myself, my problems, my situations, my circumstances in life. We have got to keep it simple. And one of the greatest obstacles to a powerful prayer life is we give up on our prayers too easily. So we've got to keep it real. We've got to keep it simple, but one of the best advice on prayer I can give you is you've got to keep it up. Now go with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 9. I don't hear much ruffling of Bible pages. No, serious, you need to, who's got their Bible? Who's got their Bible? Show me your Bible. Awesome. Can I encourage you, go old school, go buy an old school Bible from uh, the Resource Centre, keep Barb busy and uh, let, let's, be, let's be students of the Word, amen? Seriously, if people don't read their Bibles in church, there's no condemnation, but if people don't read their Bibles in church, I wonder if you're reading it at home, right? Let, I, I, I want us to shock guest ministries when they come into the place at how many of us have actual Bibles. You know why? Because the trend is no one has a Bible in church and we read it, off the screen or from our phones. Now that's powerful, that's good, that's okay. But carry an old school Bible, all right? There's four amens, I need about 400 more. Carry an old school Bible, seriously. Highlight, go nuts. Okay. I was gonna say something else, I'll restrain myself. Luke 18, one to nine. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect Listen to this, they, that, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. He was a bad man. And there was a widow who was relentless in that city. who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, he refused 
But after a while, he said to himself, this woman's gonna kill me. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says and will not God, your heavenly Father, unlike the unjust judge, give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Emphasise that word, put that in your notes, speedily, quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Now, here's the deal. No matter how simple and no matter how real our prayer lives get, all of us at some point will hit the wall and want to give up. Who's ever wanted to give up in prayer before? Just be honest. Come out, you lying spirits. Be honest. Persistence in prayer is one of the greatest evidences of your faith in God. It is through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. If all we do is talk about faith and don't talk about the perseverance aspect of faith, the patience aspect of faith, you're not going to live the life of faith. Faith can see it, faith can speak it, faith can envision it, but patience partnered with faith inherits it. If you want to possess the promise, there are things that God showed me back in the late 90s, I'm only living today. Phil Pringle, the leader of the Christian City Church movement, church of hundreds of churches, planted churches all over the world, has been on record to say that in his life, He's only spiritually conceived 12 verses of Scripture by faith. And look what God's done with his life. How many verses of Scripture, how many promises in God's Word have you actually partnered with by faith and seen birth into your reality? You'd be amazed at what one word from heaven can do. If in the very first chapter of the Bible, it says, and God said, let there be light and the sun was created. What can one word from heaven do in your heart, your life? You know, in 1 Kings 18, there was a drought in Israel. Prophet Elijah had prayed for that drought because King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were causing trouble amongst God's people, leading God's people off course to worship Baal and other false idols and gods. And so Elijah is directed by the Spirit of God to pray against rain coming and there's a drought. But then after the victory on Mount Carmel where he burns, uh, or should I say, he actually proves the, the faithfulness of God as the altar and sacrifice is burned up and as the prophets of Baal are destroyed and the people return in repentance and renewal and revival back to the worship of Yahweh, he goes to the top of a mountain with his servant and he says, I can hear the sound. 
I can hear the sound of rain. I can't see it, it's not in the natural, but I can hear it by my spirit. And he begins to intercede and he tells his servant to go and check on the horizon for clouds that are coming. And six times the servant goes, comes back and says, there's nothing. And the prophet Elijah with his face between his knees tells the servant, go again. And on the seventh time he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. There's something about going back again to the place of prayer. Notice the widow in the parable I just shared, it says the widow kept coming to the judge and demanding justice. Can we not be a generation of believers that pray once and give up? Can I encourage you? If someone is sick in your household, don't pray once and give up. Turn up there every week and pray, anoint them with oil and pray over them. Just because you haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it's not coming. If you haven't seen a breakthrough in maybe your business or your studies or whatever it is, your finance, whatever it is, don't just pray once and give up. I mean, how bad do you want it? You've got to get relentless. Get that thing, that that prayer goal up on your mirror every morning. you, You look at it and you declare it over yourself. You declare it over your family. Why is it that there are people in the self-help industry, they take the principles of the Word of God and they apply it and they see breakthrough while the church goes, oh, that's weird. No, it's called faith. Faith calls those things that are not as if they already were. I walk around decreeing and declaring everywhere I go. It's amazing, like I was sharing with our School of Spirit students there was a dodgy business in our region, the suburbs, causing a lot of trouble in the region. And I'd go past it on my bike or in the car and I'd, I'd, I'd like, you know, pray for the people inside it. But I'd say, Lord, close this business. It's doing no good in this area and level the building. Every day for years, nothing happened. Drove past there the other day, the building's levelled. Business gone, Right? Now, I really pray that those who are in there, I I genuinely pray that God is able to provide them economically, sustainably in an industry that will add value to society. But when there are facilities, organisations or things that have a dark agenda to pervert people's hearts and to distract them and to destroy them, Oh no, God, we need that thing levelled. We just began to call it, began to call it. It's no longer there. I could go story after story. Uh, uh, um, A man, uh, husband and wife, she was diagnosed with a rare type of blood cancer and uh, her white blood cells were through the roof. And the doctor said, there is nothing we can do. And he goes back home, they'll believe us. And he's praying and he's saying, God, Um, why don't you heal my wife? Why don't you give me an answer? And God says, I've answered you twice. And he said, well, she's still sick. What do you mean? And as he says that, he looks to the bookshelf and in the bookshelf, he sees that people over the last three months had given him Charles Capp's book, The Power of the Tongue. That life and death is in the tongue. And God said, I answered you. I gave you the solution. You haven't read it yet. And he read Charles Capp's book, And he got the revelation of faith calling those things that are not as if they were. 
And six times a day, he'd walk into his wife's bedroom as she was bedridden and say, white blood cells down, red blood cells up. I declare you healed in Jesus' Name. And in six weeks, she was totally cancer-free in the Name of Jesus. I absolutely have, do not care or apologise for anyone who thinks we're crazy. This is the Word of God. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So why is it that we confess and believe unto our eternal salvation, but we cannot confess and believe unto our healing, unto our breakthrough, unto our growth in the church, unto churches being planted, unto everything in our families, in our marriages. No, come on, you gotta keep going, keep coming, keep declaring, keep prophesying. You gotta get spiritually violent. The Kingdom of Heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. When you declare in faith, you are committing acts of violence in the spirit realm. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. And powers of, we're praying for a man in a wheelchair at the 9am service who's just been diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. He doesn't need acute begging prayer. He needs someone who will exercise spiritual violence in the spirit realm. I tell you, when you, if you, not when you, if you ever get a bad diagnosis, you'll want someone who believes this stuff. They don't come to the dude who doesn't believe in miracles. They come to the dude who does. They knock on your door and say, would you please come to the morgue and raise my uncle from the dead like they did this morning? Because they know someone believes it. I don't know where we got this other church from. I don't know where we got this other gospel from. What did Paul say? If anyone comes to you, even an angel, a ministering angel and preaches to you a different gospel than the one I gave to you, let them be accursed. There is no other gospel. It's the gospel that heals. It's the gospel that saved. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And sometimes you've got to contend for this gospel. You've got to persevere for this gospel. We have got to keep our prayers up. Even when life is tough, even when the battle is fierce, why? God's not a formula, an equation that you can control. One plus one does not equal two in the kingdom. There are these things called spiritual ellipsis. What's a, an ellipsis? A, an ellipsis is something that actually is like a dot, dot, dot in the middle of a sentence. It's a punctuation that, that, that communicates a pause in the conversation or that there is further conversation still to be had. Many of us put a full stop where God has put an ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. And we go, oh, it's all over. You know, my ministry's over. Oh, the vision's over. Oh, the dream's over. Oh, the marriage is over. No, dot, dot, dot. God's still having a conversation. You say, where's that in the Bible? Well, uh, hello, Lazarus. John chapter 11. When Jesus heard Lazarus at death's door, he didn't jump in his car, 
race down the road and say, I'm here to save the day. What can I do? No, he waited till the dude died. It's sort of a little bit funny, but also a little bit weird. How many know God works in mysterious ways? He waits till the guy dies. I mean, talk about making life a little bit difficult for yourself. And then after the dude is four days dead, how many of us know Mary and Martha are thinking spiritual ellipsis? Yeah. It's the end of the conversation. No, no, God's actually just warming up. He says, I'm glad you weren't there for this, but I'm glad you're here now because it's gonna be for the glory of the Father that you're gonna see this miracle and breakthrough take place. Yeah. How should we respond to a heavenly ellipsis? Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know, one evening years ago, while I was away preaching somewhere overseas, some of you have heard me tell this story. Um, my kids were all at home when they were well younger and their cousin was over and my wife's out in the backyard doing some gardening and there was a knock at the door, at the front door. And so the kids, rather than going and telling mum, which would be the normal common sense thing to do. Since then, we've just helped them to understand common sense. But, but they freak out, right, and paralyse. And then the cousins, there's a bit of a panic merchant. They're just, you know, freaking out. And so they're all there. They're all panicked. They're all anxious. And now everyone, how many of us know it's contagious? Particularly when the kids are little. It's contagious. Oh, no, it's scream seven. And they're going to come. We don't let our kids watch that. But they're going to come and kill us. Right? I don't know how they knew that. But then, you know, so, you know, and there's knocking, and this knocking just refuses to go away. So finally they go down. Now their panic gets onto my wife, right? And Simone, who is so calm, so measured, so wise, she's now anxious like someone's trying to kill us. And she, so she goes up the stairs and there's this knocking on the door and Sim yells at the door, go away or I'll call the cops. This is all true story. My house is mad, right? And so we're there. And I'm not there, I'm away. And I'm like, why don't you just go and open the door? Anyway, it, there's this pause. And then all of a sudden, the door keeps getting knocked. So she goes around to the front room, looks out. It's the Thai delivery guy trying to give takeaway Thai that Simone ordered an hour before. She's so embarrassed. And here's this little Thai guy and she opens up the door and he's like, Pad Thai. And, and he's like, you know, I want my money. What does the Bible say in Revelation 3.20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Listen, God is never gonna stop knocking on the door of your heart. The question is, are you gonna keep knocking on the door of his? You're gonna follow the Thai delivery guy and just keep knocking I want my tip, just keep knocking. Am I right or am I right? My iPad's doing gymnastics right up here. Um, why do we need to stop knocking? Because everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks the door will be opened. So what's the best advice you can receive about prayer, you gotta keep it real. You gotta keep it simple. You gotta keep it up. And lastly, you gotta keep it relational. Isn't it interesting in verse nine, Jesus said, pray then like this, 
Everybody listen to this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, many of us relate to God as our Saviour, but we don't relate to God as Father. We relate to God as Spirit, our empowerer, our helper, but we don't relate to God as our Heavenly Father. Yet Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. You know, your revelation of God impacts how you relate to Him. If prayer isn't kept relational, it becomes clinical. And it turns into this duty that you feel obligated to keep. Who's ever felt obligated to pray? Be honest, be honest. Who's ever felt obligated? I have many times. When you're a professional spiritual leader, you can feel obligated. You got another message to write. You got another group of people to speak to. You got people who you're going to go counsel and pray for, leadership decisions to make. You can feel obligated. It actually takes a lot for it to not become theory and clinical and an obligation. And it can happen to any one of us. We've got to move from duty to delight. Who would you rather share the secrets of your heart with, a friend or a servant? God's the same. In John 15, 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants because the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends for everything I've received from my father, I've given to you. Your father wants to spend more time with you than you wanna spend with him. Your father delights in your presence more than you delight in his. He's just glad you picked up your Bible. He's just glad you opened your mouth. He, he, he will respond people broken, hard-hearted, but the moment they turn towards Him and start to pray, He's there. God isn't angry with you. God isn't bored with you. He's not frowning at you when you meet Him in the secret place. And the only way that prayer is gonna stay relational is we need to move from slavery to sonship. You see, when you know you're a son, non-gender specific, this is what the Bible teaches, and not a slave, it causes your prayers to begin with thank you rather than can you. A lot of us pray begging prayers, can you, can you, can you? Well, the Lord's like, nothing's too hard for me. But you begin with thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your provision. You see, I've learned sonship thanks God for the answer. Slavery pleads with God with a question. It thanks Him for the answer. God, I thank You for this healing. Why? Because I know it's Your desire to heal. It's Your intention. Father, I thank You for Your provision. Why? Because I know You will supply all of my needs and glory in Christ Jesus. Nothing wrong with asking God questions. I ask questions all the time. Just is it coming from the heart of a son or the heart of a slave? Slavery sees prayer as performance. Sonship sees prayer as relationship. Intimacy. And Jesus really sums it up in this revelation of the Father heart of God in Luke eleven thirteen, saying, if you being sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give good things? Give the Holy Spirit, which is the goodest thing. 
the best thing that we could ever receive. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.